You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Let us pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks for this morning. We thank you for the gift of worship. Lord, we thank you for the gift uh, uh, to look to your word this morning. Uh, We certainly have not said all that there is to be said uh, for John's epistles, but we ask, Lord, that you would imprint on our hearts this morning uh, an enduring legacy of your truth and your love. It's through Christ we pray. Amen. Well, can you all see that okay? I know it's not optimal with the height, but is that sufficient for the... Okay. Very good. Well, uh, some of you, most of you, in fact, as I look around, have been here most weeks of this class. But if you haven't been, so glad you've been here, or so glad you're here today, I should say. Um, an ambitious project, as any scripture uh, passage is, but to look at all three of John's epistles, not in totality. We're not trying to say everything there is to be said, but trying to see some of the highlights and then similarly enough, uh, some of the, the lesser known portions. And so the first week we looked at the first chapter of First John. And then last week, uh, in part of chapter 2, and then last week we looked at 2nd and 3rd John, which for most of us, and myself included, a pretty unfamiliar part of Scripture. Um, If we're all being honest, we don't usually flip to 2nd and 3rd John. But if you'll recall, uh, and even if you weren't here, I'll just kind of uh, reiterate, 2nd and 3rd John are remarkably short. I'll just, as you all are here, can see it takes up half a page for each of them. Um, So, very short. And as I mentioned, it kind of feels like you're reading someone else's mail. It's so particular. And you think, gosh, well, how can we apply this to today? Well, I hope on some level we talked about that. But I want to flip back to 1 John today and consider some of those greatest hits again. So we'll look at a part of uh, chapter 3 and chapter 4. But before I jump into that, I do want to address a question that was posed to me at the end of last week's class, after after class. Um, There's curious wording here in 2 John um, chapter 3, excuse me, verse 3. Let me find it here. There was a phrase, though, where, where John is talking and he says, uh, I, I give gratitude for your truth. And the question was raised, well, doesn't that sound very subjective? My truth, your truth? What does he mean by that? Well, it's, it's a translation issue. If you look at some of the other translations, uh, the ESV sometimes can be very wooden, which is a good thing if you're studying Scripture. You kind of want uh, the words best we can kind of reproduce them. But occasionally, something that's in Greek, it doesn't communicate in English. And so when you have what's called a genitive, uh, it describes an object. Uh, there are different senses in which that genitive can be taken. So this idea of your truth, it's not so, so much truth that I generate or that um, I possess, but it's truth that was in me or in you. Uh, that's the idea there, the truth that is in you, not your subjective truth. So uh, that's a good kind of helpful reminder that when we read Scripture, particularly in our translations, and we all read, uh, hopefully, an English translation or Spanish or whatever your native tongue is. Most of us are not Greek scholars, myself included. Uh, despite taking a couple years, a couple of others in the room probably have too. Uh, I, I don't have great uh, prowess uh, and mastery of Greek, but I know just enough to be dangerous sometimes. Uh, but it is a helpful exercise to say sometimes if something sounds funny, uh, it could be a theological issue, but sometimes it really could just be a translation. Here's a helpful exercise. If you don't know Greek, go grab another translation. So if you're reading ESV, go grab the NIV. If you're reading the NIV, go grab the RSV or the King James. And occasionally you'll see a different, a slightly different kind of uh, take on how to translate those words. And again, it's no, no one's being naughty. Uh, it's just um, when something's translated naturally and by virtue of it, it's an interpretation as well. And so just keep that in mind. Keep that in your back pocket. I hope that's helpful down the road. All right, so uh, back to our... Our passage today from 1 John, 
Would anybody be so bold as to read this? I've been reading a lot this morning, and I'd love a, a volunteer. Thank you. The whole thing? Um, yeah. Yeah, as it turns out, I'd love for you to read the, the whole thing. <laughs> good good job there with that last little bit, of that, especially with the uh, pencil sharpener being in the way there, among other things. Uh, and thank you for reading. Okay, so there are portions in this particular passage that undoubtedly uh, most of us have heard before, kind of the greatest hits. And you might read First John and kind of think, this is getting a little repetitive. He's talking a lot about love. He's talking a lot about truth. He's talking about love and truth again. He's talking about knowledge and love. And I always think of it as, A, he's very thorough. Uh, B, um, all of us do this, by the way. We, we repeat ourselves and we think through things. And sometimes we give a slightly different angle, even as we say the same thing. Any classical music fans in here? Two. Okay, very good. I'm a dying breed. Uh, <laughs> I think it was variations on a theme. So you have a theme or a melody, and then you have variations throughout the piece. You don't have to be a classical music fan. You can also, I'm sure uh, Metallica does the same thing. Uh, any metalheads? Okay. So he's, he's given us a different kind of, uh, different take on the same. And by the way, chapter two, chapter three, chapter four, um, chapter five to a degree, they all deal with this this. Uh, knowledge and love uh, being uh, intertwined, truth and love being intertwined. And so looking down to verse 19, I'll talk about some of the the previous parts, but 19, just this emphatic portion. uh, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. So how is it that we know how is it that we, we know? If you go back to verse 16, he says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers, or for the brothers and sisters. So uh, what comes first is God's love. And then consequently, in seeing uh, Jesus uh, on the cross, uh, giving himself up for us, that's how we know love, and therefore that's how we are assured of this truth. So it's not the other way around. It's not that I have strong faith uh, and I can just do whatever I want. Oftentimes, faith is kind of painted in that light, that if you just, if you just believe, if you just believe, it'll happen. If you just bear down and, and try harder and believe harder, pray harder, uh, then God will give you what you want, or you'll be successful, or yada, yada, yada. Uh, what I see here is it's always God's move first. God, uh, through Jesus, laid down his life for us. And then in, in, in following, we... we know that we believe it and then the ethical is intertwined as well we are we're called to do the same that we ought to lay our lives down too that we should love uh, one another as he loved us now if you have been at a place like church of the advent for a while you might get a little wary at that point you're like oh no are we creeping back into legalism you know do we have to love is we supposed to love is it required and I think that's the wrong way of thinking about it. John is talking differently than, than Paul would. When Paul talks about faith and works, uh, yes, faith is primary, works follow. And I don't think John is saying anything differently. He's just saying it, again, emphasizing a different syllable. And so love follows. Love never precedes. Love never precedes. Our love, that is. It's God all along the way. And so uh, we've received His grace, and therefore we're freed now to go love. Not that we have to. Not that we should, although those are certainly true, uh, but we were freed to do so. Uh, as Paul says, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. And being free uh, in the Spirit, now we can actually go and do what He's commanded. So what is it that He has commanded? What is it uh, that John says that God has commanded of us? 
You see it there in verse 23? Let me read that part again. And this is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as He commanded us. Isn't that fascinating? So all throughout, He's been talking about this new commandment, which is to love one another. And here, uh, again, He emphasizes what comes first. It's belief that comes first. It's faith that comes first. It's not me pulling my bootstraps and saying, I'm going to do God's will. It's uh, recognizing that uh, God has put it before us in Jesus. Believing is our first and primary act, our first and primary uh, uh, place as Christians. We, we believe first. As Luther says, uh, the organ of a Christian is the ear. That's our primary organ. We hear first. And so in hearing it and seeing it and experiencing it, uh, then, therefore, we can go and do likewise. Well, backing up, I wanted to hit those first two points first, but backing up. He uses uh, Cain and Abel as sort of a, a case in point of what it means to hate our brother, uh, and quite literally brother in this case. But, of course, uh, we, we take this to realize that everyone that God has put before us is uh, our neighbor, as we know from the Good Samaritan. Uh, anyone you encounter is your neighbor. All of God's children, that's your brothers and sisters. And so for those of us who hate our brother, uh, we're a murderer. This is commensurate with what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. If anyone who looks upon his brother with hate, he is a murderer. And he says, you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Now, where have we seen that word abide before? Heard something over here, maybe. No, I just said it's all over the place. Oh, it is. It certainly is. Certainly, and certainly, even in First John, we've seen it uh, before. But again, John's Gospel, uh, when Jesus says, "I am the vine, and you are the branches. Abide in me, and I shall abide in you." Uh, another uh, another point uh, pointer, rather, that this is uh, this is the same pen, perhaps, that wrote John's Gospel. But this abiding, this uh, living, this residing, uh, this continuing, and um, it's it's not once and done. You know, oftentimes we think uh, if we accept Jesus as our Savior uh, and we confess with our lips, it's all true, we're saved. But we think that's our great act. Okay, I'm good. I'm clear. But it's a continual. It's a continual relationship with God. And the, the heavy work is on His end, not ours. Uh, as John says here, the commandments actually are, are pretty light. Jesus says it as well. My, my burden is easy. My yoke is light. Uh, he's not requiring much of us, and yet it seems like everything at times, doesn't it? Um, but He's given us as His all. And so this commandment to love, uh, from a worldly perspective, is impossible. I mean, yes, we can do good deeds. Yes, we can uh, follow good causes. But to truly love, uh, to truly love is more than simply to give money or to even uh, sacrifice. Uh, to truly love, as, as we see and we'll hear in John chapter 4, is to, to know God. And that's when we, we truly can love and be freed to love. Good night. It's already 1038. All right, I want, to do, I want to do a look at chapter 4 really quickly. And I'm not going to ask Lee to read because he's off the hook. He's, he's loved his neighbor this morning. Uh, who wants to love their neighbor? <laughs> Paige, would you mind? Thank you. Maybe we should go see an eye doctor soon. No, well done. Thank you. Uh, and again, the point the point's well made, I think, that we, we've heard this message. It's not that it's not important to hear again. And again, we are, we're leaky buckets. We need to be constantly reminded. As, even as I get the truth, sometimes it leaks on out of me. And so I'm thankful that John, uh, 
he keeps hitting the same note. Um, he keeps hitting the same note over and over and over again. And um, as Paige read that, a few things, of course, stuck out to, to me. I'm sure it did to you as well. Um, but this, this continual link between knowing that we're loved uh, because of what God has done and continues to do, quite frankly, uh, but then uh, that outpouring, as we are formed in that message, as we are formed in that confession, in that faith, uh, it's almost as if we cannot help but do likewise. Now, at our best. Now, at our worst, of course, uh, we fall back on ourselves, and that's where we go through the cycle again. So the Christian life's a cycle. Again, I love my evangelical brothers and sisters. I consider myself one of them in many ways. But oftentimes, uh, you know, the, the path of, of faith and life is I accept Jesus, and I'm sanctified, and I just get better and better and better and better. But I think, true to experience, and correct me if I'm wrong in your own life, but I, I'm assuming uh, it's more like I, you know, I'm doing okay for a little while, and then I kind of tank, and I kind of go back, and I take a turn here, and then, I, okay, I'm, I'm good again. Uh, God's called me back. I'm no longer wandering, and then everything falls apart again. It's this strange cycle. And so he's not talking about sanctification here, but I just want to interject. Uh, we often think of sanctification as just this journey uh, of upward and onward. Uh, but I think Paul is pretty clear that we're both justified now, and that word sanctified, we're made holy. I think we are made holy now. We're set apart. Uh, we're God's holy people. Even if we don't feel like it or act like it sometimes, it's a reality from heaven's standpoint. Uh, that's what he sees when he looks upon us. And perhaps by the end of our lives, we're more holy. I don't think so. Um, most of us, I remember Gerhard Ferdy, the Lutheran theologian, they asked him kind of close to his death, you know, uh, what, what is your view of sanctification? He says, well, my view of sanctification is, as I get older, I'm more in need of knowing that I'm justified. I'm more in need of knowing that God has loved me despite myself. So he says nothing about his works. He says nothing about his stature in uh, the faith community. But simply, his being sanctified is being more assured that God has done all the work and continues to do all the work. And yet there are moments, I think, where God allows us to love, uh, allows us to love beyond ourselves. And so I think that's where John uh, is so apropos for, for us. But it cannot be missed. Remember, the link between knowledge and love. And God himself is love, so we're taught that. It's one of the very few places where we have an attribute of God, not saying God is loving, but in fact God is love. We often take uh, the inverse to be, uh, true, but it's it's actually not. This is one of those places you cannot do that. You cannot simply say love is God. Love is from God, but just because you see love doesn't mean um, that it is God. But God, in fact, is love. Well, that wonderful verse here, this is like the greatest hit to me. This is the greatest of the greatest hits, uh, where it says, we love because he first loved us. Again, putting uh, the horse before the cart and not the other way around. Always continually reminded uh, that Jesus makes the first move, not once and for all, yes, once and for all on the cross, but continually. God continually makes the first move over and over and over and over again. Does that resonate with you? I mean, in your own life? I see some nodding heads. Yeah, please. To clarify what you said, because I experienced Jesus being loving towards me. Yeah. And maybe what you were saying previously is we don't just recognize love or. Yeah, what I was trying to say is often I think uh, we try to be uh, gracious and, and, and Catholic in the universal sense. And sometimes say we see uh, love between a married couple, let's just, and take Christianity out of it from it, and say, oh, that's God. That's, and so that's not the same thing, I don't think. Um, yeah. But what, what were you saying, though? Do you feel like Jesus loves on you? Was there more to that? or? I feel like, 
advice. I would have been a great Catholic. Yeah. Great, and I am a great Pharisee in a lot of ways. I get, you know, hey, join I'm the club. Right here, too. And he's so heavy on mercy with me when I fail. And yeah. You know, you read that and you don't really take it yeah, I mean, that's that's a helpful word. I mean, I think in some ways you can sum up this whole thing saying, yeah, God, God's God been merciful. That's not really a word that John seems to use in this letter, but in a literal sense, but I think he's he spelled it out for us over and over again. And so we didn't talk about chapter 2 as much, or the, the end of chapter 1 either, but he talks a lot about sin, and he does throughout uh, the, the, the various chapters. And he's, he keeps saying, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. But I'm saying this to you that you will not sin. None of that's with a heavy hand. All of it's gracious, saying this is what real life looks like. Live into it. As you confess the faith, live into it. Yeah, none of this is, is harsh, I don't think. Except, I will say, except he is harsh towards the false teachers. We saw that in Second and Third John last week. Uh, you can see that in chapter 3, which is not on the board here. Uh, but he talks about the false teachers uh, testing the spirits. Those are the places in which he is a little more harsh. Um, Second and third, a hundred percent. First John, yes, I think that is a major, uh, a major thrust of his message. Uh, I wouldn't say it's the only thing he's trying to do, but yeah, to sort out uh, true doctrine from false doctrine. And he's saying true doctrine uh, is more than simply right here, but true doctrine uh, bleeds into the rest of your life. And so that's why I keep saying, if anyone says they love their their brother, but yet does not, or loves God but does not love their brother, then he is a liar. I'm always moved by that at Sunrise Centers on Thursday mornings. We read that verse where it says, If anyone says that he has no sin in him, he makes himself out to be a liar. Uh, it's a very important reminder at 7 a.m. on a Thursday morning. Uh, <laughs> but it's true. But yeah, to your point, that's exactly right. He's, he's trying to sort out the, the real teachers, the true teachers of the gospel versus uh, the false. Well, I feel our... our Time is closing uh, very quickly. We've got less than three minutes if I'm going to be on time, and I need to be on time because I'm leading morning prayer in about 15 minutes. Uh, any closing thoughts? And remember, I, certainly we've not said the last word or all that can be said about this. First John alone, despite its redundancy, I mean, you really could do, you really could do like 10 weeks on First John. Ellis. So do you run across people that you think know God who don't claim to be Christians? Yeah, that's a fascinating question, uh, and I think that would ra this raises a philosophical question. I think what is knowledge, uh, and I would say God certainly knows them. God certainly knows. whether they're cognizant and can call on the Lord Jesus. Uh, it seems like no. Um, yeah, I went to Dave Zoll's talk Thursday night. Dave gave a talk on um, his new book, Low Anthropology. He hinted at this just a little bit, and maybe the popes can correct me if I'm wrong, um, but hinted at the idea that. Um, you know, th throughout culture, this is kind of Mockingbird's take, right? Uh, that a low anthropology actually kind of leads us to Christ in a way. Uh, even if even if we are not prepared to say, "I believe the Bible" or "I believe in Jesus," uh, it's prep work being done. And so, I, my prayer is that God in His mercy would reveal Jesus to to those who have a low anthropology. They're, they've got a good start. They've got a good start. Yeah, and He does mention the Spirit. I, I love that you said that. And gosh, I'm just. I've, way in over my head thinking we can do this in a minute um but he, when he talks about it's not yeah it's here verse 13 because he's given us his spirit that's a reminder that uh, god ultimately is in control of this it's not you and me god's the agent 
And so perhaps if he's doing that outside of the church or outside of, you know, explicit Christianity, uh, yeah, we could say that's by his grace. And hopefully, again, that's his way of preparing uh, a people or a person or a whole, a whole group, whatever it may be. Well, friends, I do want to conclude here. So sorry that uh, this was rushed. Uh, let's close in prayer, and I'm going to dash. God, we give you thanks that you are, in fact, the agent uh, of not just not just truth or knowledge or faith, uh, but of your love, uh, that you've, you've started this thing in creation, long before creation, Lord. You knew uh, who you would make and who you would love, which is the whole world, as John says in chapter 3, for God so loved the world. Lord, may this love be known to us this morning and in our lives, that the love that you've shown us would be manifest in the world only by your Spirit and only pointing to your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.